The Water Values Podcast, Session 13. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Water Values Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I hope everyone had a great Memorial Day weekend. Drop me an email and let me know what all you did. Getting to today's program, the subject matter comes directly from you. A few weeks ago, several listeners indicated they wanted to hear about the Great Lakes and invasive species, so I found today's guest based on those requests. Today's guest is Tim Eater, the Executive Director of the Great Lakes Commission. Tim was a great guest and passionately described several issues affecting the Great Lakes and how the challenges to the Great Lakes are being overcome. So get ready to learn a lot about the Great Lakes from a man who's front and center in Great Lakes issues. So here's the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that thinks water issues are interesting and that public education about water issues is needed. And that includes educating myself about water issues because no one knows everything about water. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Tim, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Greatly appreciate your time. Uh, Tim, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in water? Okay, sure. Hey, it's great to be here, Dave. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I'm a a water resource policy uh, technical and legal specialist. I've been in this business for uh, almost my entire 35-year career. I, uh, I'm a graduate of Michigan State University, and I've spent most of my career working in the nonprofit environmental side of water resource issues, uh, almost all of them on uh, Great Lakes or St. Lawrence River issues. Um, and uh, my background is uh, economics, policy, and law. I'm not a lawyer, and I'm not a scientist, but I, I, dabble, <laughs> I dabble in each. So, I spent uh, 17 years with the National Wildlife Federation's Great Lakes office here in Ann Arbor prior to joining the, the becoming the executive director of the Great Lakes Commission uh, in 2006. Okay, and and what is the role of the Great Lakes Commission? So we're a, we're a compact agency. We were formed by compact, which is an agreement amongst the eight Great Lakes states. Uh, sanctioned by Congress, uh, uh, a law enacted into, into law in the U.S. Congress in 1968. But the eight states formed our organization out of a belief that working together in common and, and in, in, uh, in a consensus fashion on Great Lakes economic and uh, environmental issues was better than each state working independently. That's the basic thrust of it. We have a really broad mandate to promote the use of the water resources in the Great Lakes, to conserve them, and to enable us as, as an institution to advise both the states and the federal governments on how best to manage and protect them. Okay. And so you deal with those economic and environmental issues, and how does it? How do the states get along in terms of, of do they find consensus pretty easily, or, or what are kind of the, the big issues that, that – um, you're dealing with? 
Well, we're dealing with a, a panoply of issues. Um, we have a, a really high-profile uh, advocacy campaign, I would say, right now. One of the one of the things that we are advocating in Congress, uh, policy, uh, federal policy uh, advocacy campaign, is the uh, Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, which is uh, something which was created before the Obama administration. That that is, it was a regional consensus uh, developed with a significant amount of input from the states and the governors, uh, but actually about 1,500 people uh, representing all of the federal agencies, state uh, industry groups, uh, business and economic interests, and, as well as environmentalists, all came together, um, gosh, it was uh, about eight years ago now, and came up with this plan for re revitalizing the Great Lakes, for restoring the Great Lakes, cleaning them up, and, and revitalizing them. And when uh, President Obama campaigned, both he and uh, Senator McCain, um, pledged that they would fund this initiative. And when Obama got elected, he did. He put um, $475 million into the restoration initiative uh, in the first year, and then it's, about, it's been averaging about $300 million since then. So we're up to well over a billion dollars now in money to clean up, restore, address habitat con concerns, and to really revitalize the entire Great Lakes region from an, from an environmental standpoint. So that's been a high-priority focus of our federal policy agenda, is to make sure that, that that funding comes in and convince Congress that it's a worthy investment, and we certainly think it is. Sure. So that's, that's a priority number one for us right now. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. What are the different programs within all that uh, within that that, that that funding is going to? Because that seems like a lot of money to you know be dedicated to, to one program per se. Um, I guess it is a lot of money. Yeah. It's, a, it's a heck of a lot of money. But you know, the Great Lakes are the the largest body of fresh water on the planet. I mean, twenty percent of the surface fresh water on the entire planet are located here in the five lakes that that surround. Uh, surround this region, and so it's a it's it's a priceless resource. I mean, it's um, it's our Everglades, it's our it's our Colorado Rockies. It it really is a national treasure, and it's uh, a, a region that's been the industrial and manufacturing heartland. It was the arsenal of democracy in uh, in in World War II, um, and we have this legacy of pollution. So the um, the money is going to uh, clean up this legacy of pollution, to clean up contaminated hotspots, to deal with invasive species, to prevent the introduction of new invasive species, to restore habitat for um, for for fish, birds, plants, and wildlife, uh, and to control uh, contaminated runoff, polluted runoff from from urban and and uh, rural areas. So those are those are some of the highest priorities. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the legacy of pollution. What what are the worst chemicals or or things that are that are getting into the water and polluting the Great Lakes? Well, we have contaminated sediments that uh, ring the the major cities and ports around uh, around the, the Great Lakes and on both sides of the border, and there are about forty thirty nine or forty of these uh, areas of concern right now. Uh, three of them have been removed from the list so far, um, but they've been they've been uh, areas of concern, toxic hotspots, 
recognized as such since the, the mid 1980s, and they contain, you know, the, the sediments in the bottoms of these rivers and harbors contain a range of pollutants, including metals like mercury and zinc and, and chromium, uh, PCBs, which were a coolant, and, uh, uh, a fire retardant that was used in, in cooling fluids, um, and uh, some agricultural pesticides and, and uh, contaminants and, and so on. But those are, the, those are the big ones, PCBs and metals. Okay. Uh, and you also mentioned invasives as uh, one of your top priorities. Talk to us a little bit about invasive species in the Great Lakes. Invasive species have dramatically changed the ecology of the Great Lakes region. Uh, going back to the 1950s or beyond, uh, I mean, we almost lost the, the top predator in the Great Lakes, in the, in the Great Lakes food chain, and that is the lake trout. We almost lost that species completely in the 1950s and 60s due to uh, invasive lamprey, sea lamprey, which were, uh, which are an eel-like species that has this nasty rasp-like mouth that uh, they, they attach themselves to the bodies of lake trout, which can, lake trout can get, get up to uh, 15, 20 pounds and, um, and um, you know, 35, 40 inches long at their, at their largest that's actually a little bit big, but, it, but anyway, they're really big fish. And the eels, the, the lamprey, attach themselves and basically suck the life fluids out of lake trout. So that was uh, probably our first invasive species. But since then, there have been a total of, of about 180, 185 non-native species that have just totally changed the ecology of the Great Lakes region. The water in the Great Lakes right now is clearer and cleaner than it should be. You know, waters need some um, uh, organic material and some plant life, some some zooplankton and and phytoplankton as a as the base of the food web. And the mussels that we have, the zebra mussels and quagga mussels, are filtering out that that uh, microscopic life and making the lakes cleaner. Um, so that's dramatically changed the base of the food web, and uh, we have you know small fish that are out competing the the other the native uh, small fish. So it's it's just totally changed the uh, the food web, and the food web is is really teetering on the brink of collapse because of these non-native species, and they come in from a variety of pathways. But we've been focusing on a number of them to try to try to prevent, you know, that's the first the first mantra, the first order of, of attack is to prevent any new invasive species and then manage and control those that you can't prevent. Sure. It seems odd to say that the water is cleaner than ever before uh, while you're also dealing with pollution issues and, and uh, that just seems yeah, like an odd juxtaposition. It is an odd just juxtaposition, uh, but the fact is that... Um, that you need, as I, as I said, you need some um, productivity within the, 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 the lakes. Um, and that is, uh, you know, that's the phytoplankton and zooplankton and, and um, uh, nutrients that, that enrich the food chain. And if you look in Lakes Michigan and Huron, you know, the middle lakes, um, they're cleaner and clearer than they should be. And one of the problems that's manifested uh, itself is is that uh, sunlight penetrates a lot deeper in clear, clear, cleaner water. Of course, 
Mm-hmm. And this causes um, algae to grow at deeper depths, which um, which can create its own problems. So it's a it's a nasty uh, chain of events that are that that can that can uh, often be traced back to invasive species like the zebra and quagga mussels. Okay. So hey. we're trying to we're working on a number of different pathways to try to prevent invasive species from coming into the lakes. Sure, and what can you give some examples of how how you would you go about preventing uh, the introduction of invasives? Yeah, one of the things that you need to do is 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 obviously you you go at them from the source, and the the, the primary sources and pathways have been recognized and identified. And one of them is uh, ballast water from ships, from ships that visit from foreign ports. And so we're we're working hard to get. Uh, new technology, basically, you know, treatment technology that will uh, treat uh, ballast water before it gets dumped into the Great Lakes. Ships come in and uh, they they use ballast water to uh, stabilize themselves so they don't tip over. Um, and they, you know, they take in ballast water when they're uh, when the ships are empty, and then when they fill up with cargo, they release the ballast water. So when you when you take on cargo in the Great Lakes to, to ship it back out, ballast water gets released, and, and so you need to have technology to treat the release of that, of that uh, ballast water before it gets dumped. And that can take the form of, of uh, UV light to, to sterilize the water, filters, uh, reactive agents, you know, uh, sterilizing agents that, that can be used to treat the treat the uh, ballast water before it gets discharged. So uh, we're working on new technologies, new policies, new laws, regulations. And one of the things that we're doing is trying to get the eight states and the two countries to have uniform ballast water treatment standards and, and technologies because, you know, from an economic standpoint, from the shipper's standpoint, they don't want to have to meet eight different states uh, requirements. They want to. They want to have one set of rules and policies. So that's a that's a classic, a great example of what the Great Lakes Commission does. Is we try to to seek harmonized uh, rules and policies. Um, another really important pathway in a high-profile species that that some of your uh, some of the listeners might have might have heard about is the Asian carp. Invasive, large uh, carp that can get up to 100 pounds. Uh, were uh, imported into the U.S. Um, not that long ago, less than 20 years ago, into uh, catfish farms in the southeast in Arkansas and in uh, those parts. And they were they released they got out of the catfish farms uh, during floods, and they've gotten into the Mississippi River. They're working their way up the Mississippi River into the Illinois and headwaters of the Mississippi, and and into the headwaters of the Ohio. But we're really concerned about them getting into the, the Great Lakes, and the primary pathway by which they would, uh, they could get into the Great Lakes. The the, the one of the uh, continuous connection points is the Chicago Waterway. Um, there's a unnatural connection. The Chicago River was actually diverted, so there's a diversion that takes water out of Lake Michigan and sends it down the Illinois and down the Mississippi. That's a an artificial connection, and that uh, was was really important for the city of Chicago uh, back in the at the turn of the century, 100, 114 years ago, 
Um, it, it was important for commercial transportation, navigation, and as a way for the city of Chicago to deal with its wastewater. However, it's become sort of a highway for invasive species, both in, moving in both directions. You know, the Mississippi, one of the ways that, that the western part of the U.S., uh, the zebra mussels moved into the west is through coming out of the Great Lakes through the Chicago Waterway and uh, working their way working their way west through through the uh, uh, the Mississippi and up the Missouri and so on. It's not the only way they got out west, but that was one of the ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're working to close that artificial connection and control uh, control the, that that pathway before the Asian carp get into the Great Lakes. And that's a really complicated uh, challenge to to close a waterway and yet maintain transportation and and continue to provide the services and benefits that that waterway provides to the city of Chicago. Tim, what are some of the what are some of the ways that you are looking to prevent uh, the Asian carp from advancing? You talked about you know closing off the uh, the the unnatural Chicago waterway connection. Are there other other elements to preventing the Asian carp from being introduced to the Great Lakes? Well, there are some technologies that we consider uh, short-term, important, and um, interim measures. Um, the, the federal agencies are investigating the use of um, electric barriers. Well, they're, they're not investigating the use of electric barriers. There is an electric barrier in place in the Chicago, uh, the the, uh, uh, the Illinois River, Um and that electric barrier repels fish. Now, the, the the Asian carp are not actually at the electric barrier yet. They're downstream from it. But that electric barrier provides a line of defense. There's also commercial fishing, netting, that's going on in the Illinois River. And that's helping keep the population at bay. They're testing, um, uh, I refer to them as bio-bullets, but the use of of uh, pheromones and, and uh, hormones to uh, uh, to sterilize the fish. Um, they're, they're testing the use of uh, carbon dioxide as a fish repellent. So there's a variety of technologies that are underway. But the, the real solution that many people, including our organization, have recommended is physical separation. That is putting in an actual physical barrier to reverse the flow of the Chicago River so that the Chicago River would flow back into Lake Michigan and there would be a physical barrier that sends water in either direction to the to Lake Michigan and back down the Illinois Mississippi system. So you would not have Lake Michigan draining connecting to the Illinois River. But as I said, that involves solving the problem of transportation because you've got commercial uh, navigation, maritime commerce, that navigates between Lake Michigan and the Illinois system, and also managing the use of the water, solving the problem of flood protection and wastewater discharge, um, and you know water quality concerns. So it's uh, it's not a simple solution, but we've we've engaged a team of engineers. They've come up with a solution that we think is plausible. We're working on developing the uh, consensus now to uh, see if we can't uh, refine that solution so that all of the interest groups and, and parties that, um, that represent the uses of the Chicago Waterway can, uh, can feel comfortable with that or, or some other solution. 
uh, we've we've put forward what we think is the best solution, but we're we're working to refine it and achieve consensus. Okay, and the th- the third element um, that you mentioned when talking about the the federal act was habitat restoration. Can you talk about you know what habitats are you restoring, and um, you know what what all goes into the the actual restoration. Well, a number of things go into habitat restoration, but but one of the most important uh, things that that uh, that ecologists teach us and that we've learned um, not just in the Great Lakes, but uh, but in many coastal and and riparian areas is the importance of of coastal and and riparian wetlands. And um, most, I'll, I'll just say, the majority of the coastal wetlands around the Great Lakes region have been lost, drained. Uh, diked and, and destroyed over the over the last century and a half, um, and so a lot of the coastal restoration involves putting those those uh, natural drainages and and water features back in place so that coastal wetlands can do their job of of uh, filtering stormwater, uh, providing uh, a place for for groundwater to recharge to, for groundwater to be recharged. And providing uh, nesting and resting habitat for birds, and uh, breeding and rearing habitat for fish, and so on. So restoring coastal wetlands is a is a fundamental part of habitat restoration. Another part of of habitat restoration is is again preventing invasive non-native species like plant species from from colonizing degraded areas. Uh, and we have this uh, nasty plant. We've got a number of of plants, but one in particular is called Phragmites, and it's uh, it's a European plant um, that grows to 10, 12 feet high. It's really it's a reed. It's part of the reed family, uh, but it uh, can actually uh, dewater uh, coastal wetlands. So, you know, keeping that in check and planting native species is another form of uh, of habitat restoration. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now. A lot of these, it seems as though there is a, um, you know, a connection to the economy. We talked about the invasives and and how you know there's an issue in in stopping the invasives from from moving into the Great Lakes by separating the the Great Lakes basin from the uh, the Mississippi. The pollution obviously has a tie to the economy. What's the relationship with with this restoration initiative and the greater economy in the in the Great Lakes states. Well, I guess you know from a from a high level standpoint, the Great Lakes governors, the political leaders, the the members of our congressional delegation uh, have all recognized that Great Lakes restoration, protection, uh, and the environment are integral to our economy. We've really come to appreciate in the last few years that the Great Lakes are our economic ace in the hole. That you know we were we were once the arsenal of democracy, the center of manufacturing, and manufacturing and agriculture, are and tourism are still hugely important to this region. Don't get me wrong, but water and water resources and the benefits that they provide to navigation, to tourism, to recreation, to fishing. Uh, and water supply, water for industries and for food production, manufacturing, is really just essential to our to our economy. And so the governors, the congressional delegation, have all lined up behind this 
restoration initiative, as has industry. Uh, we have industrial uh, associations and um, and um, uh, uh, nonprofit industry coalitions, uh, the regional chambers of commerce in the Great Lakes region, in other words, the Detroit metropolitan region and many of the other major cities, uh, uh, regional uh, chambers of commerce have all gotten on board because they recognize that that uh, that the Great Lakes and and the waters and the water resources that they provide are are crucial to our economy. Right. It's interesting that you're saying that because we had uh, Will Sarney of Deloitte Consulting on just recently, and he he really uh, gave a lot of great insight into how businesses are uh, really looking at water as a risk and an opportunity. And it's, it's interesting to note that the ind- that industry is really behind your effort to revitalize um, the Great Lakes and, and really, you know, protect and preserve uh, and rehabilitate that resource. So uh, just it- well, it's fundamental to the quality of life, you know, it, and, and, and I don't mean, I don't just mean that from a, from a recreational standpoint, but if you talk to uh, some businesses and industries about, why they locate where they do proximity to water is often at the top of the list and it's water for use in manufacturing it's water for uh you know potable drinking water supply and it's it's recreation tourism and it's a it's a way of life you know water is is uh to us water is our our uh resource just like the the rockies and the mountains and the trails are to the to the western u.s mm-hmm Very interesting stuff. Um, One other thing, you mentioned earlier um, agricultural runoff uh, and the the pollution that causes. We we really focused on industrial pollution when we talked earlier, but uh, could you talk about, you know, the the nutrient pollution that ag runoff causes and and how you're dealing with that? Well, sure. Um, uh, we've seen an increase in uh, algal blooms, nuisance. They're, they're called uh, harmful algal blooms, particularly in uh, in Lake Erie, western Lake Erie, but not exclusively. Also in uh, the shallower uh, parts of the Great Lakes, places like Green Bay and Saginaw Bay in particular, those three places are kind of hot spots for harmful algal blooms. And uh, nutrient runoff from agricultural practices in the form of fertilizer, uh, in the form of uh, manure from livestock production, uh, runs off the land and um, stimulates the growth of, of uh, algae. The algae decomposes. It uh, robs the water resources of oxygen. You know, we have, uh, we have dead zones, large dead zones in, the, in, the, in those parts of the Great Lakes where oxy- oxygen is depleted. And, of course, if you don't have oxygen, you don't have, you don't have fish and aquatic life. So... Um, uh, we're doing a, n- a number of things uh, to try to, re- to to get at that problem, to reduce that problem. Uh, there are agricultural practices that are that are being undertaken and installed. You know, things like planting cover crops, things like uh, moving livestock up away from water courses, and uh, one of the other innovative things that we're looking at is a is a program uh, referred to as trading, where um, uh, because of contamination problems, the Clean Water Act, the U.S. Clean Water Act, may require that point sources, industries, and municipalities that are discharging to a contaminated waterway, a waterway that exceeds water quality standards, 
may require them to install additional treatment uh, uh, technology that might cost, you know, uh, lots of money, millions of dollars. It may be more efficient to extract that pollution savings, that nutrient reduction, from non-point sources. But of course, enforceability on non-point sources is always is always a challenge. And so, what happens under a trading regime is that the the point sources may actually buy pollution reduction, conser- uh, nutrient conservation. Um, and uh, best practices on agricultural lands. So the point sources may be compelled to actually pay farmers and other landowners to put in uh, nutrient reduction, pollution control practices on their on their lands. And so setting up that trading mechanism and the markets and the credits and the brokering of those of those trades is something that we're pursuing and investigating in it in an experimental fashion up in the Fox River in uh, in Wisconsin. Fox River drains into Green Bay. Hmm. So, so that's an innovate, innovative practice that's been talked about. Trading has been talked about um, for, yeah, you know, for a long time, for a couple of decades, as an innovative market-based approach to solving pollution problems. But we're we're trying to make it work and put it, uh, set it up and get it, get it working uh, on the ground up in uh, northeast Wisconsin. Okay, so how long is that? How long is that kind of um, pilot test or, or experimental phase uh, been going on? Uh, just over a year now. We've had this project up. It's a it's a three year project. Uh, we've we've got a little bit of funding from uh, actually it's from the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative uh, coming to us through U.S. Department of Agriculture, Natural Resource Conservation Service. But it's been um, in the development phase for a little over a year now, uh, we've got a couple more years to go, but we're we're pretty optimistic that we're going to be able to uh, get this up and running. Interesting, fascinating stuff that uh, the you're considering market-based approaches to uh, to the pollution problem. Um, well, you know, we've talked a lot about what what the, we're doing stateside. How is uh, is is there a similar initiative in Canada? Um, in terms of this restoration initiative, um, because, or are the funds as part of this federal act, U.S. federal act, are they are they being pooled with Canadian funds, or how's how's the international angle work in in restoring the Great Lakes? Well, that's a that's a big challenge. The uh, quite frankly, the Canadians have not put the same uh, dollar resources onto the table uh, as the U.S. has now. Of course, the U.S. has uh, a larger population in the Great Lakes region than the Canadian than is on the Canadian side, but there are significant challenges uh, on the Canadian side as well. And of course, you can't manage and protect a, 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 a body of water just on one side of the border. Uh, of course, we share this fabulous resource with uh, with Canada. So um, we're we're working hard to encourage the Canadian federal government. And the provinces of Ontario and Quebec to put additional resources in, and they have they've stepped up and increased their funding, but not on a commensurate scale with the U.S. Uh, contribution. Okay, interesting. I didn't mean to start an, uh, an international war here, but I just was kind of curious about how how that funding. Yeah, it's not a it's not a war. You know, it's a, it's a it, we we've got a tremendous uh, history of two hundred over two hundred years of cooperation and shared management and protection of the Great Lakes. We work. 
we we work very well. The the U.S. and Canada works very well together. We have binational institutions. Our institution, the Great Lakes Commission, has uh, equal representation. Well, not equal, but there's two Canadian provinces that work with the eight Great Lakes states. Um, two federal governments work cooperatively through the Great Lakes Fishery Commission, the International Joint Commission. So we we work cooperatively. We share the resources. We uh, we have a number of joint policies and programs, but the funding uh, hasn't hasn't kept up on the Canadian side. Okay, great. Well, Tim, I want to really thank you for coming on to the the program today. You've done a great job laying out all these issues that are affecting the Great Lakes. So. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. It was great having you. Where can people go to learn more about you and the Great Lakes Commission? Well, we have a really terrific website. We actually have two websites that I'll refer people to. One is uh, simply our organization website, glc.org, Great Lakes Commission, GLC. And if you just search for Great Lakes Commission, you'll find us. The other is the Great Lakes Information Network, GLIN. And again, the search of just about any topic, Great Lakes will lead you to the Great Lakes Information Network. And, and Glenn and the Great Lakes Commission are, are a couple of great web resources for folks. Terrific. Well, Tim, again, thanks so much. And uh, we may have to have you on again next time to see how the uh, some of the initiatives you're having are working. It would be my pleasure. All Thank right. you for the opportunity. You bet, Tim. We'll talk to you soon. Well, that was my interview with Tim Eater. At the beginning of the show, I indicated that Tim passionately described the issues in the Great Lakes, and I hope you recognize that in the interview. He was a terrific guest. So here are my key takeaways from my discussion with Tim. The first has to be the Great Lakes revitalization program that Tim described. We as a country have spent upwards of a billion dollars to date on Great Lakes restoration and rehabilitation, and that money has funded everything from pollution cleanup to wetlands and habitat restoration to invasive species control and more. Next, the invasive species discussion struck a chord with me. I spent time in my youth in northern Ohio, just 17 miles from Lake Erie, and I was even a lifeguard on Kelly's Island in Lake Erie when zebra mussels were invading the Great Lakes. Perhaps it's just my poor memory, but when talking about invasive species and the Great Lakes, um, I've always thought that the Great Lakes were a victim of invasive species, not that they exported their species to other areas. And Tim proved me wrong on that, and I think that's an important takeaway Uh, that can go beyond the Great Lakes is that any body of water can not only be a victim of invasive species, it can also export their species to other areas um, and can do incredible environmental harm in that manner. Uh, To build on the invasive species issue, I found it interesting that the whole food chain in the Great Lakes is being threatened by invasives that are eating up all the phytoplankton and zooplankton, and those are not leaving enough food for the native species to eat. That's a huge problem and hopefully one that the Great Lakes uh, Rehabilitation Initiative can solve. Finally, the U.S.-Canada relations and cooperation provided another key takeaway for me. It's good to see the U.S. and Canada working together and hopefully the financial resources to help improve the Great Lakes will continue flowing. Well, as usual, the show notes for this episode will be available online at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 13. Please let me know what interested you about the interview by leaving a comment on thewatervalues.com or by emailing me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993. Finally, if you've been enjoying the podcast, 
please consider leaving a rating and a review on iTunes and Stitcher and any other podcast directory on which you download the podcast. And don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast and to sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. You've been listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with us.